Mark and Simbri are here singing uh, on the right and left on our platform, and they got word this week that they now have a child for adoption, a little boy 17 months old in Ethiopia, and his name is Ishmael right now. He is from a, a Muslim family, a Muslim part of the a country apparently. And so we have been praying with them as they have awaited this uh, moment, and we're delighted that God has given them an answer. Uh, as it happens, I preached on Ishmael last week, and I talked about Abraham sending Hagar and Ishmael into the desert, and all the pain of that moment for Abraham as well as Hagar and Ishmael. And now today we come to a text in Genesis as we are sitting down with the patriarchs through this spring. We sat down with Abraham for three months as we began the sojourn in Genesis chapter 12. Now Genesis chapter 22, we're sitting down with Abraham as well, but also with Isaac. And it is Isaac and Abraham who are featured in this account today of Mount Moriah. Now, I don't know where Mount Moriah is. Some people claim to know. I know that in Second Chronicles it says the temple was built on Mount Moriah, and it uses that same word, and perhaps the temple mount is actually Mount Moriah that is mentioned here. Uh, but wherever this happened, it is a tremendous picture in the Old Covenant of the salvation brought to us by the Father in heaven. And I want to remind you that the new covenant is in the old covenant concealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the old covenant is by the New Testament revealed. The new is in the old concealed. And the old is by the new revealed. And so we come to this text, Genesis 22, with new eyes. Because Jesus has died upon Mount Calvary, and he is risen from the dead. And we look at this account of the testing of Abraham with new eyes today. Genesis 22, verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we We'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, 
and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham put an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Here we have an account of Abraham's great test on Mount Moriah. God asked him to sacrifice his only son, whom he loved, on the mountain that he would show them. I used to climb mountains when I was a boy. And when I have a chance, I still do so today. I love to do mountain climbing. In fact, we have a young lady from South Carolina who worships with us and she told me this week when I get back to South Carolina I'm going to climb a mountain because I love to do it. Abraham is a man who climbed a mountain. To climb a mountain takes exertion. It's hard work. And this particular mountain was of great difficulty to Abraham. He heard the voice of God speaking to him this most difficult thing. Take your son and sacrifice him. Abraham heard God over and over again, and God spoke to him. God hears our prayers, and we listen when he speaks. And God spoke to Abraham this most difficult thing. It represented for him the mountain of his greatest test. And I would suggest to you that when God calls people, to himself 
for salvation and to himself for their calling and their purpose. It is often a steep mountain which they must climb. So it was with Jesus who was called to climb Mount Calvary. And he prayed in the garden at the foot of that mountain, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. The scripture says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in his testing at Gethsemane. He concluded that prayer saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not my will, Father, but thine be done. And it was the Father's will for him to climb that mountain. It was the Father's will for him to drink that cup. Oh, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup represented for him suffering and death and even the abandonment of the Father. He became sin who knew no sin. He knew the cost and all that it entailed to go to that mountain, and yet he did it. And I would suggest to you that you have a mountain as well, that you are called to climb. And it is a difficult path for you. And you may think, well, my mountain is this, this suffering, this pain, this trouble in my life. God has allowed this to happen, and I am to climb this mountain. And it may be so. The Apostle Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh, and he begged the Lord to remove it three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So the difficulty, the trouble, and the hardship, the suffering even, which you face, you may put in that category as a thorn that God has given to you, and he is perfecting his work in you through that problem, that mountain, that thorn. And sister, if that is God's calling on your life, then with all your effort, you climb the mountain. You do the calling and purpose of God. You seek the strength that he gives and the resources that are his. And you make the difficult trek and accomplish the thing he has called you to do. But I suggest to you that the greatest mountain a man climbs is not the mountain of suffering and pain, but the mountain of pride and self-sufficiency. What God is really asking Abraham to do is lay it all down again. What he's really saying to him a second time is, I want everything you have, and I want you to know beyond any question that all you have comes from me. And it is difficult for a man who works hard all his life to accumulate possessions and care for his family to look in the mirror and say, I and myself cannot do this. It is a tall mountain for a woman to say, I need the grace of God to accomplish what he requires of me. 
The tallest mountain that you climb is the mountain of your pride. To get to the place where you lay it all down and say it is not of me, but of you. Not by things that I have done, but according to your will and your purpose and your grace, you have saved me. Calvary is a mountain that Jesus climbed in order to die. And he taught us that his death upon the cross is not simply, although it is dramatically, the purchase of our salvation. But it is also a way to live, a way of life, a way to be in the world. The disciples were clamoring for him to take another route, another road, another way. The devil tempted him with another way to do his work. If you'll just take one of these three options, it'll be so much easier for you. You'll get the job done and you won't have to do this difficult path and walk this difficult way. But Jesus knew that the Father had called him to lay down his life. And the radical call of the new covenant is for you to do the same. To lay down your life. Baptism pictures it in a powerful way as the old is gone and the new has come. Paul prayed at one point, I want to know the power of the resurrection in my life as well as the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. But we never know the power of the resurrection in our lives until we have laid it down as Jesus did. Unless a man lays down his life, he cannot experience the resurrection life. Climb that mountain, sister, brother. Face the shortcomings of your own morality, your own strength and wisdom. Know that there is no hope for you apart from the grace of God, that it is only through the promise of the Father that you will ever come into his presence. That you must believe. And there is no work that you can do which will make you right or accomplish your salvation for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross because that's the only way for you to be saved. Climb that mountain. Make that sacrifice. Abraham took the thing he loved the most. It is interesting when the father talked to him that he talked to him about his only son. We know there was another son, Ishmael, who was sent into the wilderness with his mother. Ishmael will return in the story of Abraham after he dies, and Ishmael and Isaac will together bury their father in a cave in the Holy Land. But from God's perspective, Abraham has one son, an only son, Isaac, the son of promise. And the test is, Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and lay him down on the altar. It was the test that Jesus experienced as well. To surrender all that he had in the garden. To refuse the other way. The way of human competency. That I can do it myself. I'll, I'll handle it my way. All of us have in us this desire to compile our own way. There are lots of ways to heaven. You just pick one. The Father teaches us at Calvary there's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus, his Son. In order for a man to come into the presence of God, he must do so cleansed of his sin. And yet everyone in this room is a sinner. Jesus took upon himself the burden of the cross. He laid down his life. He placed himself upon the wood because it, he knew it was necessary to rescue you from your sin. The parallels are striking. As Isaac walks up that mountain, he is carrying the wood of the sacrifice upon his, upon his back. As Jesus walked down the Via Della Rosa to the place called the place of a skull. He carried the beam upon his back. When they got him to the place where they crucified him, they laid him down upon the wood, just as Abraham laid Isaac down upon the wood. Jesus stretched his hand out for the nails as we have just sung. You say, what held Jesus there? His obedience to the Father and his love for you and me. I want you to identify the thing you love the most. In all of life, the thing you love the most. And know that the Father wants that thing, that one, that person, fully committed to him, fully laid down. The thing you love the most may be the very thing that stands between you and the grace of God this Easter. It may be the one obstacle in your life that keeps you from experiencing the power of the resurrection. There was a rich young ruler who came to Christ one day and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talked to him about the commandments. And the ruler said, well, I've kept all these things from my youth. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. And implicit in the story is this truth. That this young man loved his possessions. He loved his stuff. He lived to compile more. It was the center of his life. And Jesus said, one thing you lack... Take everything you own, sell it, and give to the poor, and come follow me, and you will have eternal life with God. And the scripture says, that young man went away from that conversation, very sad and sorrowful. He left sorrowful. There is a possibility that you could come to Easter worship on this day, and walk out of these doors sad. And sorrowful. 
Because you identified the thing you loved in your life. And you will not give it to God. For some of you, when you identify the thing you love the most, you know it to be outside of the Father's will. It is a relationship, perhaps, or a practice, or a habit of heart that has captured you and laced itself through your life. And perhaps you cannot even imagine yourself without this thing you love. But you must lay it down. God will break the hold of the bondage of sin in our lives as we lay down the things we love. This Easter, to remember the awfulness of sin is the role of the cross. The penalty of sin. The difficulty of sin in every life. But sometimes we love our sin too much to lay it down. We just love it. We don't want to surrender it. And we forfeit the power of the resurrection in our life. We forfeit the presence of God in our life. We forfeit the spiritual vitality that we only receive through the cross of Christ because we will not lay down that which we love. Identify the thing you love the most and lay it down upon the altar. Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. He tied him up and put him on the wood. He took the knife he had carried to that spot and raised his hand to slay his son. And God stopped him. God spoke to him in that moment. He stopped his hand. He called out to Abraham. Do not hurt your son. And that word reverberated not only in Abraham's life, but down through the corridors of history that God does not require child sacrifice in order for a man to worship him. While all the pagans and on mountain after mountain, those who did not know the one true God were laying their children down and sacrificing themselves and giving as they felt the one thing they loved to the God which they worshipped. The true God said, no, stop his hand. There'll be no child sacrifice among my people. God closed the door on child sacrifice at Mount Moriah. Now the kings did not always get it. And there is a valley of Hinnon, which runs right up there next to the holy city and not far from Mount Calvary. And if you search the words, you will discover it is the valley of the screaming sons where Manasseh made his children walk through the fire in worship of a false god. Do your children no harm. God loves these little ones. 
He intends for us to love them too. From the moment we know they are in the womb. All the days forward, we are to care for and nurture these little ones. I don't want you to leave here thinking that Genesis 22 is about child sacrifice and its approval. I want you to know that God never required of his people this common practice, which was not only true among the nations of the Middle East, but you can also find it in Peru and Mexico City, the Aztec and the Inca empires where they brought their children. In fact, the word decimate has in its root the killing of one out of ten infants. It is a scandal to the Lord and a blight upon us when we sacrifice our children for our own comfort or convenience. God said, do the child no harm. And I want you to trust him in this. God was doing something beautiful and wonderful for Abraham. Richard Wilson said this morning, as Abraham and Isaac climbed one side of that mountain, God was bringing a ram up the other side. And that's a beautiful picture. It is Moriah, which means the Lord will provide. Climb that mountain. Make that sacrifice. Trust in the Lord. He will provide. When Isaac turned to his father and said, Lord, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham responded, the Lord will provide himself a ram for the sacrifice. And they went on together. From the very beginning, though God had clearly said, sacrifice now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Abraham believed that he and his beloved son will come back down that mountain together and we will return to the servants at the foot of this mountain. The New Testament notes this. And it says, by faith, Abraham sacrificed his only son, believing in his heart that if he should slay Isaac, the powerful God who called him would raise him from the dead. In fact, the scripture says, in a way he received Isaac back from the dead. In a picture, it is a picture of him receiving Isaac back from the dead. Having raised that knife, God stayed his hand and now he receives the son back from death and the grave. God will provide himself a sacrifice. There are so many parallels between what happened at Moriah and what happened at Calvary. The sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of God's son. But do you know, if you search the New Testament through and you look at the preaching of the evangelists and the record of God's word, you're not going to find this picture used in the preaching of the early church. It's not recorded as a parallel. We were having coffee this week. And I said to my two friends, I said, why do you think God never, the Bible never uses this picture 
from the Old Testament to teach about what Jesus did at Calvary. And a friend of mine wisely said, because it's not a complete picture. It's not the whole story. God stopped Abraham's hand on Mount Moriah. But at Calvary, God did not stop the slaying of his son. In fact, the scripture says, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? What happened at Calvary was God did not spare his son. But he gave him to die in our place as our substitute for our sin. Oh, this is the cost of sin. When Christ dies upon the cross, it is a picture of the wickedness of sin and the penalty of sin. And it is the picture of our penalty and what we should have endured. The wages of sin is death. God sent his son. He died upon a cross. This is what sin cost the father and the son. But God did not spare his son. He delivered him up for us all. He paid the penalty for your sin. And the way of salvation is clear. You must acknowledge the great thing, the un unbelievable and, am and amazing thing God has done in giving His Son. Acknowledge what God has done. Believe. Receive Christ as Savior, repenting of your sin and trusting Him alone for your salvation. Not Jesus and all the good works you do. Not Jesus and all the church attendance that you've made. Not Jesus and how good a dad you've been or a mom you've been. Trusting in Christ alone for your salvation so that you have no other plea except him and what he did for you at Calvary. And in this complete surrender to the cross of Christ and what God bought for you, you will experience the resurrection power which alone is seen at the empty tomb. Paul says, listen, if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, then what would he withhold from us? He concludes Romans chapter 8 with, What could possibly separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? There's nothing. Not things present. Not things to come. For some of us, things present do indeed seem to separate us from the love of God. And we have withdrawn from the fellowship of the Father. Our prayer life has fallen aside. Even our worship life has fallen aside. Because things that have happened to us, they have discouraged us. And it seems to us that God has not loved us as he should. But the love of God is settled at Calvary. Does God love us? Surely he does. He did not spare his own son. He delivered him up for us all. And it is not the end of his work, but the beginning and proof of his work. And his ability in your life to address the needs of your heart, even today, he who spared not his own son, he will freely give us all things. Nothing can separate us from his love. If something present in your life 
is separating you from the love of God, then you need to repent and say, Lord, take this thing out of me. This anger, this resentment, this frustration, this unbelief, so that I can be in fellowship with you again. The scripture says, nothing present can separate us from his love, nor things to come. There's nothing that's going to happen to you. That if you see the cross rightly, if you embrace the Savior fully, will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. He is the sufficient one now and forever. We are saved by looking to the cross and believing that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross in our place for our sin. And we live one day at a time walking a life that is cross-centered and knowing that the forgiveness of God follows us moment by moment and day by day and we are continually washed from our sin. You know, brothers and sisters, on this Easter, our rejoicing is in this. God has settled the sin problem for everybody in the room through the death of his son upon the cross. He has paid the penalty. He has broken the chain. He has delivered us from the power of sin. And so we can come to him and receive his forgiveness and walk away not guilty and burdened down, but free of guilt and shame, free to live boldly in the world, free to live with resurrection power in our family and at work and in our school because of what Christ has done for us upon the cross. The resurrection is the vindication of what happened Good Friday. It is the declaration, this is my son whom I love. He has descended into the depths. He has died upon the cross, but he has risen indeed. Somebody in the room needs the resurrection power in your life. You don't know if you can go another minute. You've been doing it all on your own. And your resources are indeed gone. You can't go another step on your own. What you need is resurrection power in your life. You say, well, how do I get it? You come to the Christ who died for you. Gave his all for you. You forsake your sin. You abandon your own way. You cast yourself upon the mercy of God. And receive his forgiveness. There is power to live life fully and faithfully in this world today through the death of Christ and his resurrection. Bow with me, please. And if you have not trusted Christ as Savior, if you've been holding on to other things, if you've been making your own way, if when you think about the one thing you love, it looms so large between you and God, Would you this moment surrender your life and that great love to the Father, to his will, and to his purpose? Would you give it up? Would you lay it down? Would you pray, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I confess my sin before you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I open my life to him and receive him as Savior and Lord. God, I pray that today, men and women in this room will trust Christ as Savior and Lord. 
and experience today the forgiveness of sin and resurrection power in their life going forward. God, do your work in us. We make ourselves available for your Holy Spirit. Speak to us in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.